It's Tuesday the 12th of January. Welcome to our afternoon sport deep dive. I'm Tim Gilbert and I'm joined by my co-host Shane Lee. Now we're going to talk about it but hey, how tough were those Indians yesterday? It was a disappointing result but a fantastic game of cricket and um, and day five and that's as good as test cricket gets in my opinion. Oh, set up beautifully for Brisbane and we're going to talk to the interim CEO of Cricket Australia Nick Hockley today. Rob Gilbert, our editor-at-large, is going to cover off a number of subjects, including all the fairy tales in the FA Cup. And we're going to walk down the lane of eSports. If you want to know about eSports, it's huge. Stay right where you are. Well, Shane, let's get going. SCG, look, the Indians, you cannot be critical. Boy, oh boy, they stuck it out. Didn't they what, mate? They really hung in there, and it was a bit of a genius move. Uh, Rahane got out, uh, the captain got out in the first over, um, and they sent Pant in, um, the left-hander, who has been in a bit of a sledging match with, um, with with the rest of the Aussies, in particular Matthew Wade, but geez, he played really well. Yeah, 97 runs, left-hander, took on the spinners and took the ascendancy away from the Australians, and, you know, uh, India ended up with 5 for 334 to force a draw. We now go to Brisbane, hopefully, uh, with a series level of one game apiece. So it was a fantastic day of Test cricket. Yeah, there has been some criticism of the tactics of Pad. Of course, he didn't keep, but he, he got injured with his arm. I, I don't see a problem with that. No, look, the, the rules are there. The, the rules are the rules. And um, it's probably sour grapes from a few people um, on, on the Aussie side of things. But um, look, he played really well. But it, it was a really, really good day's cricket. You know, um, with Ashwin hanging in, he got 39 out. And Vahari, who tore his hamstring. Uh, to bat, he only got 23 on out of about 100-something balls. And, um, you know, Hazelwood tried hard, two for 35, but there were three drop catches once again. It's, it's a catches sort of win matches series, and um, three went down from our captain, um, Timmy Payne, and two really, really tough ones and one late in the day. So that was the difference today, I think. It's pretty hard when you're the leader and you drop catches, isn't it? It is, mate. And um, But two of the catches were off uh, Nathan Lyon up close, you know, um, and, and the ball moves quick, it deflects, and uh, they either go in or out, and um, unfortunately, Unfortunately, today, they both came out and, um, yeah, he, he'll be hurting today. Um, the guys were really reflecting. I thought with our attack, we could have got the 10 wickets today, but it wasn't to be. India are a strong bunch, strong-willed and um, and love batting on a flat wicket. Yeah, they got the tactics right, didn't they? As you say, they put Punt in and him and Pajara and they tied out the Australian bowlers, so it was a draw. And Australia has to win this final test match, otherwise the uh, Border Gavaska Trophy stays in India. It's as simple as that. Simple as that. But we haven't lost in Brisbane since 1983, a test match. So, um, you know, we go up there with uh, the history book saying we can win. Although the history book said today that we should win and India can't chase down a score that big. But, um, yep, a really, really good series. Hardly fought. And, and who would have thought we'd be sitting here um, going to the final test after Coley has gone home and the series being this close. India has really stuck together and played well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, still on cricket, I had the real treat to catch up with the interim CEO of Cricket Australia, Nick Hockley. They've uh, they've done a good job. Most of the markers have been met in a ridiculous world that we've been living in, of course, with the pandemic. Here's Nick Hockley. Afternoon sport, and it's great to be joined by the interim CEO of Cricket Australia, Nick Hockley. Nick, how are you? I'm well, Tim. How are you? Yeah, really good, really good. A very different world to the one that we were living in when I probably last spoke to you, which is probably just before COVID hit proper in and around the World Cup time uh, early in 2020. Um, You've taken on this role 
it's been a bit of a baptism of fire. I tell you what, you couldn't have come in at a more tumultuous time. Well, it does seem a while ago, Tim. And yeah, weren't we lucky to be able to play the Women's T20 World Cup in its entirety? You know, I think it has been a, a very difficult and challenging time for everyone. But um, I have to say, the way that Australian cricket and everyone's pulled together to deliver this season, it's just been a great privilege to be part of. And, uh, you know, here we are, the last day of the third test going into the fourth. And um, we've got, I think we've got a lot to be very thankful for. And we can confirm we are definitely going to the Gabba. Uh, now we know we're going to be in Brisbane. No, absolutely. So we've been doing lots of work this week with Queensland Health, the Queensland Government, with the BCCI, ironing out all the plans. There was a, we had a bit of a late curveball with the lockdown in Brisbane, but we've worked through that. And, um, you know, I think our, our biosecurity protocols have stood us really well all summer. And uh, I got a call from the BCCI secretary and we agreed we're all good to go to um, to Brisbane. I mean, I think throughout this whole summer, it's all about keeping everyone safe and that's the playing groups, everyone involved, but also the community. And, um, you know, we've taken our time to do our due diligence, but based on our discussions with the Queensland Chief Health Officer, uh, we're all set to go. That's great news. And, and, to be honest, obviously we know that we're not going to get full crowds in various grounds, the MCG, SCG, 25%. But the appetite for people to watch cricket at home has been extraordinary. The, the TV numbers and other media numbers have been through the roof. Everyone's had um, such a difficult and, and challenging year. And, you know, I think sports been put on hold in, in various parts of the world and different sports have had their own, own challenges. But, you know, as I said, everyone's worked so hard to put the summer on. It's great to see people tuning in. And the cricket's been fantastic. And the, there's been lots of speculation and discussion about, you know, how we get the season happening. But, you know, once once it's got going, it's been the cricket that's done done the talking. And last night was another another cracker, another last over finish in, in the BBL. So um, just I just hope that everyone around the country and around the world is, is really enjoying it. What, what about this unsavoury activity happening at the SCG? We, we obviously need uh, people to have the presumption of innocence before anything is handed down, but uh, there, the, there was about a seven, eight-minute stoppage in play yesterday and young Siraj down there on the boundary felt that he was being abused. Some spectators were ejected from the ground. Yeah, well, I think it's... You know, it's obviously a, a very delicate issue. I mean, the first thing to say is a discrimination in any form is, is totally unacceptable, totally unacceptable within cricket. Um, we won't tolerate it. Uh, Australian cricket's vision is to be a sport for all. You know, I think in, in many ways it's encouraging that um, Siraj felt that he was able to bring his concerns to the attention of the umpires. We've obviously got lots of messaging that that type of behaviour uh, is not to be tolerated at the cricket. Um, but the work we're doing at the moment is we're trying to get the facts. We've had fantastic support from venues, New South Wales, New South Wales police. Um, so we're, we're just investigating that uh, at the moment. At the moment, And once we understand the facts, we'll take the appropriate action. Are you very confident and bright about the future of cricket in this country, Nick? Uh, you Look, the whole dramas with, with Channel 7 and other things that have gone down through the course of the past 12 months, there have been some difficult moments financially as well. We have just been so lucky. We've managed to play the season in full, whether that's, you know, the Tour to England, whether that's the Women's International Series against New Zealand. We've we played the first four rounds of the Sheffield Shield in a bubble in Adelaide. 
Uh, we played all all 59 games, the WBBL. We're 35 games into the BBL. And um, so cricket, you know, as compared to many sports around the world, uh, certainly cricket in Australia has been extremely, extremely fortunate. We've got a lot to be thankful for and a lot to look forward to. We've got the Ashes next year coming up and then we've got the delayed or postponed men's T20 World Cup happening in, in 22. So a couple of absolutely massive seasons coming up. Yeah, absolutely. And as a lover of the game, congratulations on the work you've done. If this is some sort of probation before they take the word interim out, I'll tell you what, you've nailed it. Thanks so much for talking to us, Nick. Thanks, Tim. Really appreciate all your support. Thank you. Coming up, our editor-at-large, Rob Gilbert, looks at a few sports as he always does. He's going to look at these fairy tales in the FA Cup, plus much, much more. Looking forward to it. All right, our editor-at-large, Rob Gilbert, of course, covers all things Melbourne and so many other little bits and pieces and big bits and pieces. How are you, Robbie? Good, Timmy. How are you, mate? How are you, Shane? Mate, I'm going well, Robbie. Um, well, let's start with the, the Olympics, Japan. Where are we at there? What's happening? Yeah, look, the uh, organising committee and the IOC insist that we'll see an Olympics this year, scheduled to start on the 23rd of July, still be called the 2020 Olympics. It's going to be uh, vastly different Olympics to any we've seen in the past, if it does go ahead. If crowds are allowed to attend, they'll be far smaller. There will probably be no parade of athletes at the opening ceremony, which will be a jarring thing for all of us, no doubt. Fly in, fly out as well for athletes. Uh, they'll be quarantined, of course, if that happens. But the situation in Japan right now is, uh, is, is on a knife edge like so many other countries around the rest of the world. Uh, the borders are closed at the moment. It's a state of emergency. And uh, according to a number of different polls that you read from the Japan Times to a number of other publications, the, 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 the feeling from the public is that uh, they, uh, they would rather the whole thing just be cancelled. The ISC and the organising committee hoping that that mood changes uh, as they get closer. But it's already cost $13 billion at this stage and another $2.3 billion over and above um, what was already a blown-out budget uh, just to prepare for the delayed games if it goes ahead. Yeah, like, it's just huge money, isn't it? And that, that's part of the reason why they want to get it done because they're going to blow a lot more if they if they don't get it there because so many, so many people are invested in this, so many partners right across the world. Now, Rob, uh, we love an underdog story. Uh, we spoke about it at the top of the show with India. Extraordinary the way that they just stood firm and... And uh, drew this test match in Sydney and have taken it up to Brisbane one all. And if they can manage a draw or a win there, they retain the Border Gavaska trophy. But what about the FA Cup? Talk about some fairy tales. I know we, we were talking about Marine last week, weren't we? They couldn't get it, the job done against Spurs. They went down 5 0. But uh, let's start with. Truly, they beat Derby. Now, admittedly, Derby were playing a, a vastly understrength side, but uh, uh, this is six divisions difference uh, between the two. Crawley Town getting over Leeds, uh, that's another massive upset. Uh, there was one, in fact, uh, at, at the uh, very end of the, the fixture, Newport County were taking a six divisions again lower than Brighton and Hove Albion, first division side. The divisions lower than them uh, from South Wales, they took them to penalties and and it was one of those chaotic penalty situations where the Brighton and Hove Albion keeper saved a couple and then and then his teammates missed a few. So, yeah, look, it's just that so many people who, who follow 
football in, in England. Uh, let's talk about the FA Cup and uh, and whether the, the magic has, has gone. But when you see situations like this, they uh, certainly, are, I don't think, uh, are on the money. One of my favourites was the young um, youth side of Aston Villa took Liverpool to one all at half time, and it took them till the 60th minute to break open the game. So, yeah, a fantastic uh, FA Cup weekend as the Premier League took a rest. Hey, and we mentioned this last week, but uh, Jerry from Jerry and the Pacemakers passed away. Um, best known for the song You'll Never Walk Alone, the Liverpool anthem. Are they planning anything over there for that? Yeah, so without crowds at the stadiums, it's difficult. I spoke to mm. the ground announcer, George Sefton. I think I mentioned his name last week. He's been there for nearly five decades and uh, was a good mate of Jerry Marsden. And uh, they uh, they will definitely be playing a uh, tribute to Jerry Marsden uh, to uh, acknowledge his involvement in the club. But uh, you'll never walk alone, obviously, the anthem of Liverpool. But it was an anthem before the uh, Hillsborough disaster. Uh, yeah. When Hillsborough happened, obviously, uh, it took on a whole new different meaning. And uh, so a, a massive loss for, for the club. But also, interestingly enough, uh, Celtic and Borussia Dortmund also play You'll Never Walk Alone as an anthem as well. So uh, a big loss in the past week for a lot of football people. Now, Rob, you live in Melbourne. A lot of talk about the, the Western Hotel and people in and around there not happy about tennis players coming in from every other dot on the planet and uh, after having the darkest, blackest of winters. Uh, can you give us a little bit of, of context? Because, uh, you know, Johnny Stephenson has been coming on the show and, and he speaks quite articulately, having lived there for five years himself, about how Melbourne is very much driven by its sporting culture. But there's a real tentative uh, nature in the air, isn't there? Yeah, look, I, I think the description of tentative feelings across the board is fair. You'll get arguments on both sides and plenty in the middle. Uh, there are obviously some people who are considering you know, the sporting events, uh, yeah, getting favouritism and, uh, and, and family members not being able to get into the country. Uh, and and that, that argument is, you know, where's the fairness there? But from a commercial point of view, a city like Melbourne, like so every other city around the world, has has had a massive impact from the uh, the pandemic. And and if you can stage, this is my view, an event like this within the confines of uh, quarantine and and uh, I mean, look, you only have to have Craig Tiley, the tournament director, of course, of the Australian Open, talk on the subject for for five minutes about the um, the planning that's gone on around this. Uh, obviously, the, the the Grand Prix has been postponed as it is, so it seems to me that there will be an Australian Open of, of some description, whether we, we see crowds or not, uh, that's going to be uh, something that happens uh, or at least the final decision on that will take place right at the 11th hour. But um, yeah, there, there is a sense of uncertainty um, with people generally. I guess similar to what we talked about with Tokyo uh, at the top of our chat today. Yeah, I think the qualifiers started in Doha yesterday so um, it's all happening. Now talking about staging events, events don't get any bigger than the Super Bowl. The ageist Tom Brady almost was overshadowed by a youngster who was his understudy. Where are we at in the playoffs at this stage? Yeah, well, look, the, the Super Wild Card round was on this weekend and obviously called the Super Wild Card because it was an extended finals set up for the first year. So so the uh, the Buffalo Bills beat the Colts, uh, the uh, LA Rams knocked off the Seahawks and, and the game that you're talking about, the, uh, the Tampa Buccaneers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat Washington 31-23. And the story in that game is, uh, is that... Uh, uh, Taylor Heineke, who was a uh, 
a backup quarterback at uh, New England when Tom Brady was conquering the world. They couldn't get a start. He ends up getting all the plaudits in this game. Um, he threw for 306 yards and a touchdown and ran for 46 yards and almost managed to, to knock off uh, Tampa Bay. But the Wally Old Fox uh, got the job done in the end. And, and again, that's one of the big stories of this NFL finals uh, uh, set up. The other three games that were played early Monday morning our time were wrapped up with three beauties. So the uh, the Baltimore Ravens, who had formerly been the Cleveland Browns, beat uh, the Tennessee Titans 2013, so a really close one. Drew Brees uh, managed to steer home the uh, New Orleans Saints against the Chicago Bears 21-19. But the big game was the Cleveland. Again, we talked about them last week. The, yeah. You know, the uh, team that just managed to find new and uh, and unusual ways to lose. They, they went up 28-0 at quarter time against the Pittsburgh Steelers who'd been, you know, their big brother whipping boy over so many years. So many of their big losses have happened against, had happened against the Steelers. So they went up 28-0, the highest ever score in the history of the NFL. And considering this is the 101st year of American football at the organised level, that's a pretty pretty big result. So the Steelers fought back. Ben Roethlisberger uh, managed to, to, to get them right back into the game. So the final result, the Browns beat the Steelers 48-37 in uh, a match for the ages. Looking ahead to next week, uh, the Packers take on the Rams, uh, the the uh, Chiefs and the Browns, the Bills, Ravens and Saints v Buccaneers. So four cracking matches, uh, a lot to look forward to. It's quite amazing that they're getting any NFL at all with the way that COVID's ripping through. Good on you, Rob. Timmy, Shane, thanks, boys. Coming up on Afternoon Sport, all the eSports with Brad Timmons. Stump to Stump is Australia's newest and most interactive cricket platform for all cricket fans, players and clubs to share stories, match results, memories and experiences. Stumptostump.com Time to talk about a sport that has really grown over the past few years and Brad Timmons, co-founder of EGen Esports is on the line. How are you Brad? Yeah, good Tim. Thanks mate. Brad, Shane Lee here, mate. Uh, first question, esports has really taken off. Um, they're almost becoming the sports stars of the future, aren't they? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny situation because everyone's talking about video games becoming super popular post-COVID and obviously esports competitions largely happening in a digital space. A lot of people have been saying this, this thing is happening right now, but I think esports and gaming have been growing progressively over the last sort of 15 to 20 years, mm-hmm. in particular with younger demographics of millennials and Gen Zs, and I think because of that and because of the growth rates and the prize monies and all of those sorts of things, it's becoming more and more professional. So when you say kind of the next generation of sports stars, you know, that's absolutely becoming the case in the context of esports. Well, tell us more about what you do. Tell us more about esports because there's going to be people listening to this uh, podcast who just do not understand. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think esports is a funny term. It's almost like a grouping term by saying like sport, for example. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, there's a multitude of different disciplines. There's a bunch of different video games that people play. Game popularity differs from a market by market basis, you know, gender, age, the whole thing, depending on how long a particular video game has been out. But esports is we kind of quantify that word as the tip of the spear, the most professional you can play in terms of competition. Think AFL, cricket, NRL, any of those sports you know, the top 1% of players actually um, only ever get to go and represent their country. And in the same kind of way from an esports perspective, that's really where the kind of competitive part of video games come from. I guess the major difference between uh, traditional sport and esports is 
where a lot of the scale is coming from in the context of gaming is a broader gaming community because of platforms like YouTube, because of um, live streaming platforms like Twitch, for example. Um, most of the gaming content that's watched is a little bit more leisurely. Um, think about watching, I don't know, you know, Novak Djokovic do his training on a day-by-day basis and you getting to watch every single minute of that, the gaming audience is really driving where the scale is coming from. And I think a year like what we've had with COVID is is only accelerating that further. Um, so, yeah, it's a mix of that gaming and leisure side of things, you playing yourself in the context of video games, and then esports being that real kind of high-level competition. Uh, Brad, I know at DGEN you're involved with an, an old business partner of mine, Charles Hoetzen, who's a good, good mate of mine. Um, he was saying to me a few years ago there was a um, – a, like a, a conference, e-gaming conference over in um, the States where they sold something like a couple of hundred or 500,000 tickets in literally half an hour where people would show up to these um, auditoriums where the best gamers in the world would sit around, play games, and they'd watch big screens dressed in characters from the actual games themselves. Is that, is that true? Yeah, Charles is as old as one of those wizards, by the way, but yeah, <laughs> 100%. So I think he was referring to a conference um, from one of the big video game developers called Blizzard, yes. and they run an annual conference called BlizzCon. I think there was 36,000 tickets told, sold to that event, a couple hundred bucks a pop within a minute, and then there's some high-level competition that's played there as well. So again, um, you know, COVID has sort of affected uh, those live events for esports as well, um, and it's sort of now moving much more into sort of either cloud-based or, you know, purely digital only in the short to medium term as um, obviously fans start to return into stadiums in dribs and drabs. Um, think the the EPL, for example, only a couple a couple thousand fans at best, yeah. depending on which market you're talking about. So, um, but yeah, the, the, the fandom is like none, none other. I think one of the great stats that I love is um, the Fortnite World Cup uh, last year was hosted at Arthur Ashe Stadium, um, where the US Open is um, is hosted. Um, the kid who won the Fortnite World Cup was only 16 and a half, and he won more prize money than Djokovic won at Wimbledon. So it's getting really, really legit. I guess the scary part about those sorts of stats is that kids probably only got a three to five year um, professional esports lifespan, given how quickly these games are evolving and, and the dexterity that's required. And that's it. Sort of, if you're an esports professional, you tend to focus on the one game, don't you? And 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 I've had the opportunity to do a few TV stories on esports, and it it just runs very much like any other professional sport. They 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 train they. Play practice they have days off and they come back and practice it, it is it's it's full on yeah we um we recently ran um a, a really big esports competition in the middle east actually um with one of the big telcos over there a business called zane and this was a fifa competition we had 3300 um players go into an online qualifier bracket and then we had the top 16 um uh, get the opportunity to go live broadcast across a couple of weeks in december the, guy, the kids that were participating in that league were Saudi Arabian national champions. These kids are having to grind, you know, in the same way that you grind in normal sport, you know, 10 to 12 hour days of training. You get into that competition. You've only got that one opportunity, 1v1 in exactly the same way of traditional sports. And, and that takes a big commitment. Brad, what um, for a young uh, gamer coming through now, what, what's their potential earnings? Uh, so it's it's really interesting the way that the, the way that money is coming together in the in the context of gaming. So you've got to pretty much have um, kind of a, a multitude of different revenue streams to survive. Yes, prize money is really high, but again, it's that zero zero point one percent of the people that are actually going to make that cash. 
the way that kids are coming through the ranks now is through content creation. So, so platforms like Twitch um, had a humongous year in the context of 2020. In fact, there was over 1,000 billion minutes watched of gaming content on Twitch One. in a year. Um, and content creators are now saying, well, if I grind while I'm trying to become a professional esports um, player, if I can create some content and make some money from things like YouTube, uh, pre-roll revenue, subscription revenue from platforms like Twitch, you can get by. Some of the crazy stats, you know, uh, there's a there's a big uh, gamer in the US called Ninja who's an ex-pro esports player. You might have heard of him. Mm-hmm. He's done lots of collaborations with NBA players and rappers and all of that sort of stuff. I think the kid at one stage was, you know, doing sort of three to four hundred thousand US um, uh, on a monthly basis just on subscriptions, uh, then sponsors, and then esports competitions. It, it is getting seriously big, um, but in in no different way to game uh, to gaming to traditional sports is you're pretty lucky to get to that top end of um, the tree. Well, most people thinking, you know, esports. they sit in a chair. When I was doing a little bit of research for our chat, I, I had a look at a bit of a document, a study, and according to a new survey, studyfinds.org, esport gamers are 9 to 21% more likely to have healthy body weight. The study also showed gamers are much less likely to drink alcohol or smoke. Meanwhile, only 3.7% of esports players smoke. So, yeah, it's... I don't know why. I can't give you that answer, but maybe you can. Yeah, I think there's a few factors. I think millennials and even to a larger degree, Gen Z are becoming much more socially and health aware anyway. I think the large, I think that millennials and Gen Zs are out of the last four generations, um, the highest propensity to not drink and obviously smoking awareness is becoming more and more prevalent. Um, but to answer the question in terms of high performance, you can't be a slob and and do what these guys have to do on pixel perfect moving a mouse to literally to a pixel in order for you to be that accurate. Sure, there's going to be just some discrepancies within the player base, but you've got to be fit. You've got to get enough rest and you've got to grind it out. You know, South Korea is known as one of the birthplaces for esports and they've got training facilities, IMG, talent management companies now have got high-performance training facilities globally. Red Bull are setting up um, cross-promotion um, and cross-training exercises for, for example, for deep sea, deep sea divers into esports fans so they can hold their breath for longer when they're up on stage with their mouse and keyboard. You know, in, in other words, kind of shit's getting very real in the context yeah. of the games and because the money is coming with it. So it's um, it's fascinating. Timmy, here's a new news res- resolution, mate. I reckon you and I, let's flick that yoga retreat. Let's, let's book into a walk. Craft uh, conference, mate. What do you reckon? <laughs> I'll tell you what, you and I will both get under the 100 kilo mark. Brad, good to talk to you, mate. We're off to esports. Good on you. We might make some more money, too. Nice one, Tim. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, Brad. Take care, mate. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. We'll be with you Monday to Friday every week. Hit subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you to today's guests, of course, Nick Hockley from Cricket Australia. Brad Timmons was with us as well, and Rob Gilbert, our editor at large. And a big thank you always, Shano, to Spartan Sports. www.spartansportshq.com. Oh, you say it so beautifully every single time. And this bloke is the podcast, What Gum Trees and Eucalypt Leaves Are to Koalas. His name is Dan <laughs> McHugh. He's just a sensation. See you tomorrow, bud. See you then, mate.